Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. So, we've been reading a fantastic book called Chocolate Wars by Deborah Cadbury. We'll be hearing from her in a moment. This is the story of all your favorite chocolates. And I am as excited as you are. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Nice to speak to you. Well, my name is Deborah Cadbury. I worked for the BBC for 30 years. And I've also written seven non-fiction books, including one about uh, my own family history, Chocolate Wars. The book is called Chocolate Wars because it tells the story of how the biggest chocolate companies in the world fought for our tummies and taste buds through innovation after innovation that eventually turned cocoa products from a drink to an edible chocolate to a milk chocolate powder and finally to our beloved milk chocolate bar. In the 1860s and 70s, Cadbury experimented with and successfully created the first mass-manufactured chocolate bar. Milk chocolate bars did not yet exist at this time, so it would have been a plain dark chocolate bar. There were no shortcuts. They had to they had to really learn their trade how to manage, you know, this whole idea of factory produced food was a totally new concept. Um, there'd been the ship's biscuit, obviously, you know, the dull, dry ship's biscuit. But the idea that something like chocolate could be handled in a factory was, you know, there were so many new things to go through. This was a big breakthrough. The fact that these bars could be mass produced meant that they could be cheaper, more affordable, so more people could buy it and try it. By the 1890s, everyone in Britain was buying cocoa products. It was no longer just an exotic treat for the rich. In the decade from 1890 to 1900, the amount of cocoa consumed in Britain was doubled. It became something gradually which was on every, you know, every household's weekly shopping list. It became an immensely popular product. You know, as you can imagine, you know, it was like Britain was waiting up to chocolate for the first time. Over in Switzerland, around the same time that Cadbury had managed to mass produce their plain chocolate bar, Daniel Peter was working on making the world's first milk chocolate powder. We know that Daniel Peter happened to be neighbors with Henri Nestlé of Nestlé fame. And according to one story, Daniel had a baby daughter named Rose who wouldn't take breast milk. So he asked his neighbor Henri for help because Henri had just started selling a powdered milk developed for babies. So baby Rose was saved because she could drink Nestle's powdered milk. At the same time, her father, Daniel, got the idea to use the powdered milk to create a milk chocolate powder, which of course did not exist at the time. Although people were already drinking cocoa powder with milk, so they would have been familiar with the flavor. In 1875, Daniel succeeded in making the world's first milk chocolate powder. It was called Chocolat au lait Gala Peter. It was a success. He thought about making his drink into a chocolate bar, a milk chocolate bar. After years of working to create a milk chocolate bar, Daniel finally created one he could sell. He called it Gala Peter. What the Swiss did in the late 1890s was they showed it was possible to mass-produce a milk chocolate bar, which 
which was much more popular, even more popular with the public. And the reason why that's so clever is because actually handling milk in bulk, especially, you know, in the late 19th century when we had no refrigeration, it was a breathtaking breakthrough. It took them years. Um, you know, getting the milk to the factory from all sorts of different locations, thundery weather turning it bad, um, the fats sort of appearing in all sorts of lumpy places in the chocolate, um, actually creating a milk chocolate bar was extremely hard, but the Swiss cracked it. Elsewhere in Switzerland, at around the same time, another important chocolate innovation was happening. Rodolf Lint of Lint Chocolate fame created a much smoother chocolate after pressing the beans for longer than the norm. He experimented with different temperatures and timings to get as much cocoa butter folded into his mix as possible. This created a delicious melt-in-your-mouth chocolate. He invented a machine called a conch because it looked like a conch shell. Chocolate bars used to be hard and gritty, but now they could be softer and smoother. So what we're seeing at this time is more and more people getting into the business of cocoa and working hard and innovating to get ahead. Now, back in Britain, Cadbury's innovations made them very successful. As Quakers, George and Richard Cadbury wanted to use their money to create an ideal place for their employees to work. In 1878, they bought the idyllic land for their model factory that would be surrounded by nature. The factory was a manufacturing marvel. It was built to be one story tall so that goods would not have to go up and down the stairs. And they built cottages and gardens around it with spaces to play sports or relax. They called the model town Bourneville, and Bourneville would be the inspiration for model towns to come, including the town of Hershey, which we've done an episode on. At around this time in the 1870s, young Milton Hershey was still in Philadelphia trying to make his candy shop successful. George and Richard pioneered the idea they wanted to build a sort of utopian village around their factory. They really thought instead of the poor being responsible for their own poverty, they thought the economy was creating the poverty or contributing to the poverty, and they thought it was possible to break the cycle of poverty by introducing all sorts of ideas. And it's so touching to see because everything was planned for the long term. Um, you know, they set up savings accounts for their employees. They pioneered the idea of pensions before such a thing was, you know, thought of. Um, there was sickness benefit. There were holidays. They set up homes for cripples who'd been injured in the industrial accidents in central Birmingham. Um, they provided free doctors and dentists and there were sports grounds and I mean, it was sort of like a dream community and a very aspirational community because everyone who had a chance to be part of it loved it and, 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 and sort of worked for it. So it was a whole different concept of what business is for, how business can operate, and how it can lift up the whole community. That was what they were really trying to, to pioneer. And what was interesting was that this was done at a time when Quaker values very much guided the business. So, you know, in the early days, there were charming stories. When things went wrong, you know, they would call the staff into the office and pray for help and for guidance. And if there were too many staff and too few orders, rather than sacking the staff, they would take them on outings that were good for their health because, you know, as Quakers, it was their 
it was their absolute duty to look after their staff. The Quakers are a little-known religious movement formed in the British Civil War, and their leader, George Fox, you know, seeing people killing each other in the name of religion, you know, was appalled and turned his back on both Catholics and Protestants and concluded that religion was not to be found in the sermons of preachers, but in an individual's inner experience and urged people simply to listen to their own conscience. And that was why, for the, for the Quakers, when they started their businesses, every single individual counted, every single individual had the Spirit of God in them. In England at that time, the Quaker-led chocolate companies dominated. The three Quaker companies, Fry, Cadbury, and Roundtree, were all powerhouses. But they were all being threatened by European competition. You can imagine it must have been hard to compete with Lint's smooth chocolate and Peter's milk chocolate coming out of Switzerland. So the Quaker firms discussed pricing and advertising with one another, essentially working together not to destroy each other. Cadbury had to figure out how to make a product that could compete with Swiss chocolate. After a trip to Switzerland and much experimentation, George Jr. created a chocolate bar you may have heard of. It was Cadbury's Dairy Milk, and it launched way back in 1905. That means Dairy Milk has been around for over 100 years. And as a side note, it was the chocolate of choice I brought on my most recent camping trip for s'mores. In the build-up to the First World War, you've got the Swiss with their milk chocolate, and you've got the Quaker firms in Britain. But after the First World War, they were all knocked flat. So the First World War really leveled out the chocolate playing field. The big British Quaker companies, including Cadbury, had to withdraw their best products. You know, you couldn't make dairy milk, for example, during the, the, the First World War. There was rationed chocolate and, and, you know, very little sugar. The Swiss, including Nestle, were very impacted because their home market was small and they had relied on selling across Europe and abroad. But exporting had become dangerous. The solution was to borrow a ton of money and invest in companies overseas. Nestle struggled as well because the Swiss banks, ever willing to lend, had, um, had lent Nestle masses and had gone on a spending spree during the First World War, acquiring something like 80 factories. But it had so much debt, it was really in trouble after the um, First World War. And all of this helped create the headroom for um, the American firms to start to make headway over in Europe, um, massively intensifying the chocolate wars. In America, Hershey was not affected by the First World War. And soon after the war, another chocolate contender surfaced in America alongside Hershey. It was Mars, which used to be called the Morrow Bar Company. So Frank and Forrest Mars in the hungry 30s came up with a very clever new concept, which was to create something that's known in the trade as a count line. And what a count line is, is that instead of making your whole product out of solid chocolate, like a plain chocolate bar or a milk chocolate bar, in a count line, what you do is you simply coat a cheaper ingredient with chocolate, like nougat or caramel or, um, you know, in, or biscuit, any number of different ingredients. So you end up with a chunky, satisfying bar that's much cheaper to produce. The count line that was created was the Milky Way, which launched in 1924 
and made Frank Mars Marobar Company a success. Frank Mars and his son Forrest Mars built a new factory and went on to launch Snickers and Three Musketeers bars. In 1933, the father and son had a fight over how to run the business. Now, Forrest, who was a tricky character, fell out with his dad and came to Europe with the rights to the recipe to the Milky Way, which he rapidly reconfigured as a Mars bar. He managed to persuade the Quaker Cadbury's, who had no idea what was coming, to sell him their dairy milk as a chocolate coating. And that was, you know, perhaps unwise in retrospect. Um, because it was a very popular flavor. And um, he, he had, a, I think he sold something like a million bars in his first year alone. After World War I, Cadbury had to worry about competition from foreign companies like Nestle again. They had become more efficient after experiencing wartime rationing, and they knew they needed to use their efficiency to make and sell products more cheaply. They also knew that they needed to make fewer types of chocolate and focus on mass-producing key products. Soon after World War I, they launched Flake, Cadbury's Fruit and Nut Bar, which I love, and the original cream-filled chocolate egg, which would eventually become today's iconic Cadbury cream egg. Like Cadbury, other chocolate companies rolled out fantastic new chocolate bars in the post-World War I period. In the 1930s, Forrest Mars came out with Maltesers. Then Roundtree came out with a ton of innovations like Chocolate Crisp, which was eventually renamed Kit Kat, and also Arrow and Smarties. So during the 1930s, there was this fantastic flowering um, of all sorts of wonderful brands. But then, of course, the Second World War comes along. That was, you know, again, very disastrous. It was austerity Britain. Um, years and years of rationing, no one could believe it. I mean, it didn't finally stop till um, 1953. And when it stopped, you know, we were facing a totally new world. Eventually, Cadbury went public. And of course, that did change everything because, uh, you know, suddenly uh, you had to consider the shareholder. You couldn't just carry on as a private Quaker firm doing all the things that they had been doing to look after their employees. And then Cadbury was taken over by Kraft, which I just learned is now called Mondelez International. Mondelez, probably? Oh, Mondelez International. So Lillian, you should probably tell our listeners what you've been up to since the last time we've uh, <laughs> put out an episode. It's been a while. Okay, so it's been over a month, I know that. And I apologize, I just got into a PhD program. <laughs> Yay, Yay! So I've been settling into school, trying to get my footing in classes to get settled down in the lab. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the next episodes. <clears throat> so we're going to try to put out more episodes next month. And we love you guys. So we really appreciate you understanding. Yes. Thank you for your patience and realizing that we're both two graduate students. I'm finishing up a PhD. Lillian's just starting one after finishing a master's. So we're both two very busy ladies that do this for fun out of our mutual love of food. But we do have a lot of cool episodes in store. So. Yes. Please stick around. Even if the episodes are a little far apart, we promise that we're putting in a lot of effort to make them really good for you. So yes, we're going to keep putting out episodes. Don't worry. Stay subscribed. Thanks so much, Food Buffs. Hope you have a great week. 
Bye. Bye.